Well, as I mentioned before, we are in the fourth and final part of this series. And what we've been doing is we've been talking about the battle that goes on in our minds with thoughts that take us to places that, frankly, if it was up to us, we don't want to go. Thoughts that take us to places like constant negativity or anger that we can't control or frustration with my life and the people around me, or even despair. And what we've been talking about is that our thoughts are so key to the direction and quality of our lives. In fact, in in many ways, they direct so much of our lives. We've said it this way, I'm going to come back to it, that your life will follow the direction of your strongest thoughts. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that so true? What you think of yourself, what you think of life, what you think of God, so often your life will follow the direction of your strongest thoughts. I'll say it this way. Think of your thoughts like the engine to a train. And wherever that engine goes, the rest of the train follows, right? Wherever our thoughts go, whatever we focus on, so often... The rest of our life, our actions, our words, our emotions, they tend to follow. And so what we've been saying is, based on a section of scripture in 2 Corinthians, that in this battle, we're not not content to just sit back and let the enemy attack us. But instead, I've said it this way, we're taking a posture of a soldier, And we're declaring war on these thoughts. And that's exactly what Paul tells us to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says that we need to take captive every thought. It means you recognize what you're thinking. And you make it obedient to Christ. You you filter it through the truth of Christ, through the grace of Christ, through the purpose and direction of Christ, is what I'm thinking. Is it in line with the truth about God? And if it's not, then I need to do something with that. I need to demolish that stronghold like Paul talks about. So when I was designing this series, um, I knew that there was a whole bunch of mental health things that we could talk about and mental health issues that are, are, are really important. And yet, I also knew that in the span of four weeks that we would never be able to hit all of them. But also from the very beginning, I knew that there was one that we had to take an entire week on because it's one that so many of us struggle with, and and I'll tell you how I know that in in just a moment, but um, it's this. We're going to today talk about anxiety. And and just so that we're on the same page when it comes to anxiety or being anxious, this is the definition I'm working with. Anxiety is the feeling of worry or uneasiness based on uncertainty about the future. Did you know that anxiety is the number one mental health issue in America? That for the last 80 years, every single year, the percentage of people who struggle with extended bouts 
or being anxious often, extended bouts of anxiety has grown every single year for the last 80 years. Did you know that Americans and America is one of the most anxious countries in the entire world? I was uh, reading an article uh, by a clinical psychologist and uh, she referenced that there's been more than one example of people moving to the United States from a third world country and becoming more anxious in America than living in a third world country. Year over year, 2019 to 2020, I mean, we understand how anxiety is a big deal just in this year, even though it's a much bigger story. It's about three times as many people struggling with anxiety, of course, this year than just one year ago. This is a big deal. And as we kind of unpack this from a a mental perspective, I think it would be good to just point out some factors that I think contribute to Americans being so anxious. What psychologists point to, first of all, is this, heightened awareness. And this would make sense of why America, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, tends to struggle with anxiety in some ways more than any other place. It's because we're all wealthy enough, or most of us are, to have a computer in our pocket all the time with dings and whistles and buzzes and alerts to just about anything and everything we want. Um, Some of you are old enough to remember the days where when you wanted to learn about the bad things happening in our world, you had to wait till 10 o'clock and watch the local news. And then it was only a half hour. Well, if you take Mark Rosen's sports section, then I guess maybe it's more like 20 minutes or so uh, of bad news and bad things that are happening in the world because uh, that tends to be what the news highlights, right? Now, we have it going on all the time. Every natural disaster, we know about it in real time, whether it's big or small or in between, we're buzzing. Every little jig jog of the stock market. Oh, looks, I just lost $10,000. And we're hanging on every little blip of the stock market, every amber alert, everything that happens. And here's the thing, guys. I don't think God created us to be able to handle that much stuff. We're not designed to handle that much information and that heightened awareness of bad things going on in our world has contributed to anxiety. Or another thing with our phones is just being aware of what everyone else is doing. We've talked about this. FOMO is a real thing. Fear of missing out. Oh, like, they all had a party. Back in high school, when I was in high school, people had parties a lot and they wouldn't invite me, but I didn't know about it. Now, we all know about it because pictures are posted and and all that kind of stuff and they got this and they went there. It's a big deal and it causes us not good feelings, it causes us anxiety. So I'm gonna give you this tip. It's not spiritual necessarily and this is free of charge. One of the ways to battle anxiety is to turn your phone off more 
and to get rid of a lot of the alerts that you have on and to use it sparingly and wisely. Another thing that psychologists point to is this relational isolation. While we are as aware as ever before, we are less connected to people than ever before. And again, 2020 has not been a good year for this. It's only heightened that and made it worse. If, if you're interested in the, the power of community, um, I preached a whole message on this. It was part two of In This Together from about a month ago and how just being intentional with community and a support group around you can make a huge difference when it comes to how you feel. These are just two of the factors, and and I think both of them are very real, and we need to spend some time thinking about them. And as we address them in our lives, it can be very, very helpful. As I was uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to to talk about as I applied God's word today, I I have to admit that I I told uh, Carrie that I was a little... um, overwhelmed by the topic. You could say I was a little anxious (laughs) about it. And that's because when you get to know people, when you get to know a church family, you, you recognize and realize that not everyone's story is the same. And it's hard to apply something to hit everyone exactly where they're at. And, and if you struggle with debilitating type of anxiety, or, or maybe it's not debilitating, but it's just keeping you from happy, I recognize that there's a lot of factors to it. Um, in fact, here are some. There's physiological. It's kind of how the brain and the body work together. There's hormonal factors. There's situational factors. Certain situations you get in bring anxiety up in you. There's also spiritual factors. And if anxiety has been debilitating for you, I firmly believe that what we're going to talk about in a moment is going to be helpful. But I also want to give this disclaimer that you might need to take a holistic approach to this. And that might mean setting up an appointment with a doctor or a counselor or something like that so that you can sort of address all of these things. So I'm a pastor, not a doctor. So guess which one we're going to focus on today? This last one. The spiritual reasons why sometimes people feel anxious and the help, the direction that God gives. And it's good that we start there today And that leads us to our first fill-in for today, because this is true. There is always a spiritual component to anxiety or worry. There may be hormonal, there may be physiological, there may be situational, but there is always, always at its root, a spiritual component to anxiety that we need to address, that we need to talk about. And, and as we go there, I want to talk to you quickly about how God created you. Some of you might know this, but the way that God created you is that in your brain, there is an almond-shaped part of it that's called the amygdala. And the amygdala is what gets sort of enacted or reacts when you get in a situation that's going to cause you fear or to worry. It's how God created our brains to work. So um, when Carrie and I go for a walk at dusk 
and we're walking and what I think are birds flying close to our heads, I come to realize, and I don't tell Carrie this because her amygdala will really go off, but you know, um, those are bats swooping at our heads and I kind of duck and I get that feeling in my stomach and what I want to do is walk a little faster, which is good for Carrie because she's always telling me to walk faster. Um, That's my amygdala going off. And it's telling me there's something to be fearful about. It's amazing how God created us this way to alert us to things that we need to be aware of. Now, here's where anxiety becomes debilitating or difficult. It's when that amygdala gets sort of enacted or begins to go off, even when bats aren't flying over your head even when things are fine in the moment, but we're thinking about things that could be dangerous and we stay in a perpetual state of the amygdala going off. You see, the amygdala is not objective. And because of sin, it's gonna screw up sometimes, right? It's not objective. It needs to be spoken truth to. I wanna speak truth to your amygdala today. And we're going to do that by looking at some words that Paul wrote to some Christians in Philippi. We're going to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, sometimes you've been given advice or direction by someone and you haven't taken it seriously because you know that they're a person that can't relate at all to where you've been. They don't understand the situation. They don't understand what you're feeling or going through. Their life has been too perfect, too good. Paul's not that person. In fact, Paul recounts for us in different places all of the things that he went through during his ministry. He was beaten and flogged and stoned and shipwrecked, and left out on sea. You think he was anxious, wondering if he was going to live or die? Paul always wanted to be able to be a preacher in Rome. He got to Rome, but not as a preacher, as a prisoner. And that's where he writes this letter filled with all this encouragement about joy and contentment, and peace while being a Roman prisoner waiting possibly his death. And in that letter, here's what Paul writes. He writes, do not be anxious about anything. Really, Paul? Do you know where you are right now? Do you know what's probably coming for you? Do you know what you've been through? Yeah, don't be anxious about anything. I want to talk for a moment about the word in the Greek there that's used for anxious. A couple things. One, at its base, it means a brain or mind divided or torn apart. Doesn't that speak perfectly to what anxiety feels like? Like, you know how you should be thinking. You know what you should be doing but you just can't do it. It feels like your brain, your mind is being torn apart. The other thing I want to point out about this word 
is that it's a present active imperative. And because all of you know what that means, I'll just move on. Um, now, a couple things about that. The imperative part means this is not a suggestion by Paul. This is a command. He's commanding us that we should not be anxious. And the present active part, that always indicates something that's ongoing. Not a one-time thing, but an ongoing state. And that's interesting for this reason. Paul's not saying, don't ever have your amygdala go off so that you feel fear. God created us that way. What Paul's really saying is this, present active imperative, don't stay in a continuous situation or a continuous thought process of being in anxiety and fear. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the continued extended state of being anxious or weary. Don't be like that about anything. And then he gives us some direction. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart, present your requests to God. So this is very simple, but man, if we would just apply this and take it home, it's going to help. When life is difficult, when details are challenging, when the situation we're in causes us to fear, what does Paul say? He says, pray, pray about it. And prayer is not only powerful, but it changes our thinking. Because when we pray, it's just like when we, we talk to someone we love or who cares about us and we, we share something that's on our hearts with that human being. When we do this with God, we're bringing someone else into the situation. And it tells our minds and our hearts that we're not alone in this. And we need to verbalize that. We need to get it out. We need to pray about it. Um, Peter, in talking about anxiety, he talks about what we can do with that in prayer, what we do with anxiety in prayer. He writes this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is what my kids do when they get home from school. They have like five backpacks on them they're all weighted down. They get into the kitchen, and, and that's where my problem comes because it should be in their bedroom or in their locker, but it has to be the kitchen, all right? And they cast them all off because they're heavy, and they're all over the living room, but they've cast it off because they don't want to carry it anymore. That's what Peter's saying, that in prayer, we take this heavy weight, and we decide I'm not going to try to carry this anymore that I'm telling my mind and I'm telling my heart and God's working through prayer that I am going to cast off all those backpacks of worry and anxiety and I'm giving them to someone else who is stronger to carry them. Our second fill-in and kind of the crux of my encouragement for you when it comes to anxiety is that Paul tells us to fight anxiety with prayer. How 
as I wrote that fill-in this week, as I took what Paul said, I have to admit that a part of me was like, that's not so profound, Ben. I think that a lot of people who've struggled with anxiety are probably going to be thinking, I've done that. I have prayed about it. But, but here's what I think can be helpful. I think so often we try to do as much as we can do and to control a situation and to carry the weight. And then when that doesn't work, what do we do? We pray about it. Well, might as well give that a try. <laughs> and so often we use prayer as a last resort when we can't handle things. God says, Paul tells us, we pray in every situation and circumstance. And so maybe I can say it this way. Prayer was never intended to be a last resort. It was meant to be a continuous daily opportunity. Do you know who gave us the best example of how to fight anxiety and the amygdala warning in the entire Bible? It might surprise you. It was Jesus. Think about the night before he died. Was there a few things going on in his mind and his heart? A little bit of racing going on, probably. He knew that within the next 24 hours, he would be beaten and crucified. And worse than all of that, that the Father himself would forsake Jesus. Something that you've never experienced and that only those in hell will ever experience. We won't have to, being forsaken or forsook by the Father. And it was overwhelming, even for the perfect Son of God. And if you don't believe me, listen to Jesus' words. Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What he's saying is, it feels like I'm going to die right now because I am so overwhelmed by what's going on in my mind and my heart. Do you think in that moment, Jesus' amygdala was going off? Do you, do you think he felt anxious? Absolutely. But here's the difference. Here's why Jesus didn't sin in that, because he didn't stay in it. He felt the worry, concern. You know what he did next? What Paul said. He took it to the Father. Here's his prayer, verse 36. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Take this suffering away from me. Give me a different way where I don't have to go to the cross and yet I can accomplish what you have for me and for the world. And then he says, yet not what I will, but you will. Three really important parts that I want to point out here. Maybe you want to jot them down. They're not fill-ins. The first thing is how Jesus approaches God. As a dad, when we come to God, we don't have to approach it as like we're asking for a handout from someone we don't know very well. 
It's like taking your dad on the very best day of being your dad and knowing that you can go to him and ask him for anything. And he may not give you exactly what you ask for, but he wants you to come to him because he loves you. So that's the mindset, the the love of God. The next thing what Jesus says is everything is possible for you. And sometimes we just need to say that. Maybe those are the words you need to say when you bring your anxiety to him. You need to remind your heart and remind your mind that everything is possible for you, Lord. You are all powerful. You created the universe. This little thing I'm worried about, this little COVID thing, it's nothing compared to what what you have power over. And so Jesus acknowledges God's love. He acknowledges God's power. And then he trusts. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. He acknowledges that the Father knows best. And I trust you, Lord. Here's what I'm hoping for but I trust you, Lord. And do you know what the father's answer was in that moment? You know. Did he take away the cup? He didn't. But even in that, the father did send his angel to comfort Jesus and to give him strength in that moment of concern. That's what prayer around anxiety looks like. We acknowledge God's love. We acknowledge God's power. And then we trust. Because this is so key, I thought about making it into something that uh, you would remember. And so I have a little object lesson for you that, um, frankly, I saw from some another pastor in studies for this message. So I want you to uh, think about prayer as being an opportunity to transfer the things that are worrying you. And so you've got all of these worries. Um, Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's an election. Nah, none of us are worried about that. I can tell by Facebook. Um, (laughs) Finances, maybe. Uh, Your personal health. Maybe it's your job. The future. I'm, I'm getting you anxious just by saying all these things. Kids. Um relationships. Did you know that people actually get anxious about being anxious? Maybe you felt that. But when we pray, when we do what Paul said, we we, we take all those worries and what we're doing is we're casting them off. We're, We're giving them to God. Now, have you ever done that? I bet you have. And then it's like a day later or maybe two days later and you're feeling exactly the same It's like, this doesn't work, and you take them all back, and you try to figure out something else because it's not been working. That can happen. That's sometimes how we feel. Do you know why you feel that way? Because your God is too small. 
and your worries are too big. But we need to have that battle of the mind and you need to remember that you have a big God and in comparison, your worries are so much smaller than your God and all those worries, all those things, God can perfectly handle them and you can give them to him and he's got them. He can take care of them. It it leads to um, our third fill-in that I want your, your heart to believe that your God is bigger than your worries. You have a big God who is bigger than the worries that you have. And in application of this message, this might help some of you. I think it will. Maybe what you need to do is you need to go home today and you need to get a box. Maybe it's a shoe box, I don't know. And you need to write God on the side. And every time you have something that causes you to worry, you need to write that thing down and you need to put it in the God box as a way to tell your mind and your heart exactly what you are doing. You are giving it to God in prayer. And then here's the other thing. When you're up at two in the morning worrying about the thing that you gave and put in the God box, just so that we are being real, you need to get up out of bed and you need to go over to that box And so you can teach your heart exactly what you're doing in that moment. And you need to take that thing out of there and you need to go to bed with it. Because in that moment, what you said is, God, you can't handle this, so I'm taking it back. And I'm gonna worry about it for tonight because I don't trust that you can. And maybe that will help us. Now, for for some of you, as you think about all of this, you're thinking, well, (laughs) Um, that's irresponsible. (laughs) So like I have bills to pay, I'm just supposed to give it to God, right? How is that gonna pay the bills? Or how's that gonna help me on my test? Here's how you can think about it. Here's how I've often talked about it and, and, and with my family and with Carrie is that it's not irresponsibility that we're talking about. Here's what you do. Number one, In any situation, you do what you can do. So if it's finances that you're worried about, make a budget. How about this? What if we spent less than we make? That would go a long way for the anxiety. So let me say that again. If we just spent less than what we make, that includes getting rid of credit cards or using them sparingly, right? Or if it's a a test, we study and we study and we study. Or if it's health that we're concerned about, we go to the doctor, we exercise, we eat right. We do what we can do. That's part of this. It's part of life. That's why God gave you a brain. And then, but number two, we trust God to do what only he can do. I can't go with my kids to college. I need to trust him. I don't know what the future looks like. I'm going to plan, but I need to trust him. I don't know a lot of things. And in those moments, I do what I can do. And then I transfer trust. I trust God to do what only he can do. So often, you know what we fill the gap with? Between those two things, we fill it with worry. 
what if we were intentional? And we're not gonna get this perfect, I get it. We're still gonna be anxious at times, but then catch yourself, capture that thought, make it obedient to Christ. What if we filled the gap with trust rather than worry? Do you think that'd be helpful? Absolutely. And then Paul concludes this section and this series with this verse, verse seven, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I've talked a lot in this series, Matt, too, about the posture of a soldier, that we need to be active. We need to be declaring war on our thoughts. And we have every reason to do that because God tells us to do that. But here's what I also want you to know, because just because we've done a four-part series doesn't mean we're going to stop battling our thoughts. It's going to continue. I told you that in part one. But I want you to know that you don't battle them alone. You are not alone. We take on the posture of a soldier. We declare war, but I love this. It says that the peace of God will guard your minds. He walks with you. And he's guarding your mind. The powerful creator of the universe is guarding our minds. With what? Peace. If we want to get on top of this anxiety thing, it's about peace, guys. It's about understanding peace. Uh, Number four, the peace of God will guard your mind. And I love how Paul describes it. It's a peace that transcends human understanding. What it means is that a normal person in the regular world doesn't get it. But it has to do with why Paul was so at peace even while he was a prisoner in Rome. Earlier in his letter, he writes this. As he considers his possible execution, he writes, for to me, to live is the only solution possible. To live is the only thing that's gonna make me happy. No, he says to live is good. It's Christ, it's Christ's will. But to die is better. To die is gain. Here's what I know. Anxiety will loosen its grip when we recognize that heaven is our home and we are just sojourners in this life. And do you know why that's true? Because on the night that Jesus was so overwhelmed, God did not take the cup from him. But because he loved you so much, he let Jesus die. He allowed Jesus to be alone with our sin so that we would never have to be. We've all been victims of things. But I want you in this war to recognize what we talked about at the very beginning, that that's not who you are. 
we are victors in Christ. And we don't feel that way every day, but we need to tell our hearts and the peace of God will guard your minds. Lord's blessings to all of you as we continue to fight those thoughts with God's help and God's strength. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that points us to your son and directs our lives with helpful encouragement and direction on how to live in a way that brings the truth of Christ more firmly into our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we would recognize the power of prayer in the midst of anxiety, that we would acknowledge your love, that we acknowledge your power, and then we trust and we transfer that weight off of ourselves to you. Dear Lord, we thank you for all of these directives and this truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.